privacy includes a form for confidentiality and to record and take your idea, plus materials that explain how to try to submit your idea to companies through an InventHelp data bank and how to apply for patents. Even if you only have an idea for improving an existing product, you'll want to call for InventHelp's free information. For inventor's information, call 1-800-325-2399. Some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. It's where Mormonism meets face-to-face -face with biblical Christianity. We welcome you here. If you have family or friends who can't tune in on television, digital, cable, broadcast, any of those venues, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch Heart of the Matter live through streaming video anywhere in the world. And also, hotm.tv, you can see any of Heart of the Matter archive shows. Check it out. If you watch one show a day for the next five months, you'll get through all of them. So uh, a lot of information there for you. Speaking of information, have you gone to utlm.org? At utlm.org, you can read from the actual history and teachings, everything you've ever wanted to know about the LDS Church, but we're afraid to ask. It's right there in print. To us, it is the definitive website for reliable research on Mormonism from LDS sources. That's utlm.org. How's your biblical knowledge, my friends? Well, in addition, in addition to your attending and supporting your own local church, Aletheia Ministries, that's us, hosts three weekly verse-by-verse -verse Bible studies in the state of Utah. The first is held Sunday afternoon at the University of Utah from 2.30 to 3.30. The second is every Sunday evening uh, at Utah State from 7 to 8 p.m. And the third is Wednesday evenings in Ogden from 7 to 8 p.m. Go to calvarycampus.com for more information like times and locations. And listen up, if you can't come out physically, you can always go to that website and listen to any of the audio teachings right there uh, on the internet. Last week, we discussed the issue of paid clergy, how the LDS have long mocked biblical Christians for being paid to preach and how they have long claimed to be free from what they call priestcraft or receiving money in the, to be in the service of God. After 25 years of being in Salt Lake City as the prophet, Brigham Young said in May of 1873, and this is found in the Journal of Discourses, volume 16, page 44 through 45, quote, the elders of this church travel and preach without purse or script and labor at home as bishops, presidents, high counselors, and ministers free of charge. Now take Christians. How many of their ministers preach without pay? Go to their meetings in their churches, halls, schoolhouses, and any of their public gatherings, and you have a box, a plate, or a hat under your face, and it is, give me a sixpence, give me a sixpence, give me a sixpence. Show me an elder of this church that does this. We preach the gospel without purse or script and work for our own bread and butter, end quote. 
this attitude still exists today with as much vitriol uh, in the hearts of Latter -day, most Latter-day Saints as it did in Brigham Young's. In the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, the LDS Church continues to present this standard, stating on page 510, quote, because the church has no professional clergy, it is administered at every level through lay participation and leadership. And officials, other than general authorities, contribute their time and talents without remuneration. End quote. In and of itself, the statement is very misleading. The Mormon church is not administered, quote, at every level through lay participation. But this is not our point tonight. The Encyclopedia of Mormonism then qualifies the income general authorities receive by saying, quote, because general authorities are obliged to leave their regular employment for full-time church service, they receive a modest living allowance provided from income of church investments, end quote. So their justification is that the LDS general authorities, because they are involved full-time in the service of the church, warrant an income. Uh, I can tell you that this is the same position typically within the body of Christ. Full-time pastors and ministers receive pay commensurate to the time they put into ministry, generally. Part-time pastors usually have outside employment to support themselves. So they're no different in that regard. But again, this is not the point tonight. Biographer Stanley Hershen, in his book, Lion of the Lord, reports that in the 1870 census, Brigham Young, you know, the guy who mocked the Christian church in the earlier quote, reported personal property worth of $102,000, which would be equivalent to $1.6 million today, and personal real estate holdings valued at $1,010,600, which would be equivalent to $16,382,000 today. How did Brigham get all that dough? when he claims that the Mormon clergy receive no pay. Who knows? What we do know is that Brigham Young regularly borrowed assets from the church itself for his own personal use in business acquisitions. And at the time of his death, according to B LDS author B.H. Roberts, in his comprehensive uh, history of the church, Brigham Young owed over $1 million to the church in borrowed funds leaving his net worth at the time of his death after paying the church back, which his estate had to do, at 224000 which today would be the equivalent of having an estate worth $3,630,000, which is still not bad for a guy who is an unpaid clergy. Look, at the heart of the matter, this is all a game. It's a rather deceptive game. It is in reality, spiritual uh, warfare where one religious institution actually demeans the servants in the body of Christ, which is biblically justified in how it pays its pastors, while at the same time their attacking hierarchy has amassed personal fortunes on the side. Yet another sham, another shame. It's a stramish, and that's a new word for your vocabulary. People at times wonder what the purpose of our ministry is, asking things like, what do you hope to accomplish by doing what you do? At the same time, many people write or call and they want to know how they can tell they have really been born again. I had a recent experience that beautifully uh, answers both of those questions in a single sitting. For the past year or so, I've been in an email dialogue with a dozen or so LDS people who are truly seeking to understand, and we go back and forth, and we go back and forth, and we go back and forth all the time with them presenting what they have been taught and with me responding uh, what the Bible teaches. Sometimes it seems like, and I'm sure you've experienced this, you're literally banging your head against the wall. You explain it and then more comes back. You explain and more comes back. And it seems like nothing sinks in. Uh, the other morning I got up and I checked the email and I saw that I had received one from one of these correspondents. And I was intrigued, intrigued that in the subject line it said, I get it, with an exclamation point. 
So when I opened it up, I was blessed with one of the greatest rewards a Christian can receive while on this earth. The writer went on to explain that he woke up at three in the morning and he was unable to sleep. He went and he picked up the Bible and he opened up to the book of Romans and started reading. And he said that for the first time in his entire LDS life, he saw what all Christians have been saying all along. He went on, quote, I get it. I really get it. My eyes are open and I understand the difference between what I have been claiming to be true all these years and what you have been trying to tell me. I really get it. There is nothing I can do. It's all about Jesus and what he did, not what I do. He ended the email with a single statement, praise God, praise God, I've been saved. This is what we hope to accomplish with this program, with every discussion, with every book we send out, that people get it. Uh, whether you're an atheist or a Catholic or a Baptist or a Mormon or a Muslim, uh, whether you're an alcoholic or a homosexual or an egregious drug addict or a sinner or someone who believes them to, themselves to be a saint, uh, we pray that your eyes and that your ears your, will open, your minds will understand, your hearts will perceive, and you will experience uh, this event where you get it. There is nothing more important to our ministry than this. Can you say, as a member of the LDS Church, that you can see that your eyes have now been opened from the eyes you have always had throughout your life as a Latter-day Saint. Can you then conclude this statement without a cue card where you say, praise God, praise God, I have been saved. Can you say that with honesty of heart? This is the, straight, the, the state we want you to uh, achieve. And it's funny, before an LDS person gets it, they will literally write volumes and volumes. I mean emails that are this long, just single-spaced volumes of material. And then when they get it, they say, praise God, I have been saved. It's, there's no more. All the dialogue is done. I wrote back to this man some, a very few words. I wrote, I can tell that you get it now. It's obvious. And with you, my brother, I also praise him. That was it. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we do thank you for what you do in our lives. It's you, it's not me, it's not uh, anybody else, it's you working in people's lives, people who seek to know the truth. So we pray, Father, that you will send your spirit to people who are searching. Help our uh, studio tonight, the volunteers, our audience, wherever they may be, YouTube, here, uh, outside in the broadcast world. And we just love and praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So Brigham Young brought the people out west and impressed upon their minds that someday Mormonism would rule the world. In 1855, Young said with all sincerity, quote, We will roll on the kingdom of our God, gather out the seed of Abraham, build cities and temples in Zion, and establish the kingdom of God, which always means Mormonism. The kingdom of God in their literature always means Mormonism. To, listen, bear rule over all the earth. According to the LDS faithful Bishop Andrew Cahoon, Brigham Young proclaimed himself king in Salt Lake City in 1847. In an LDS authorized songbook called The Mountain Warbler, which was used by their choirs in Sunday schools and in family gatherings, a popular hymn was read, and I said this last week, Hail to Brigham Young, hail to Brigham Young, praise him every tongue and sing. God bless our prophet, priest, and king, our leader, Brigham Young. Praise to the man is the first one. Hail to Brigham Young is the next one. How long will Jesus share the stage with Mormon mortals? In time, Young, like Joseph Smith, even came to be viewed as a god to the saints in Utah. In the Journal of Discourses, volume 4.81 and volume 4.119, Heber C. Kimball is quoted as saying that Brigham Young was god to us in the flesh. In her journal, one Mary Eddie Smith recounted a conversation she had with Brigham Young herself. Brother Brigham, said I, with a firmness of resistance I have never before felt in his presence, are you my savior? 
Most assuredly I am, said he. You cannot enter the celestial kingdom except by my consent. Do you doubt it? End quote. The Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff phase of religious tyranny was now set here in the West and would remain for 50 years. The church was the state and the state was the church. John Taylor said in Journal of Discourses in 1857, quote, We used to have a difference between church and state, but it is now all one. Thank God. With an iron-fisted theocracy in place, Heber C. Kimball warned brethren in 1853 of the fear they ought to have if they would not follow the prophet. He said, quote, Brother Brigham is his, speaking of Joseph Smith, successor. His word is sacred. And if you do not observe it, it will not be well. And there is where I fear for you, brethren. I do not fear so much for myself as I do for you, because it will go hard with you if you disobey his advice. Well, what did the brethren have to fear? Kimball continued, alluding to the punishment that awaited any who questioned Brigham Young and his commands. Quote, I have got my old gospel preparation. Now what that means is it's a pistol. My old gospel preparation. Laid it up, drying, preparing himself for action. Do I fear? No, I do not fear anything that lives on earth or is in hell. If we will do precisely as we are told. Author Richard Abanis makes it very good point in his book, One Nation Under Gods, when he wrote, quote, It was not that the Latter-day Saints lacked faith. Each of them arrived in the Salt Lake Valley with zeal, commitment, and faith. But these qualities would not be enough to satisfy Young, who, like Smith, understood the need for absolute obedience if Zion was going to successfully be built up, end quote. The point to all this is that in order to ensure success in building their empire, they needed a total commitment and total control of the people. This state of control led Brigham Young to enter into what Abanis calls the most violent period in LDS history. And it was an intermountain reformation, and we're going to talk about that reformation in the coming week. Abanus reports, quote, far from civilization, both saint and sinner were forced to live under Brigham's iron-fisted dictatorship that regularly resorted to censorship of church critics, harsh disciplinary actions, and numerous murders at the behest of Young and other high-ranking Mormon officials, end quote. Now, I realize that Brigham Young is not the first, nor will he be the last, to control people and the masses through fear and intimidation. Most mass movements and their leaders have always resorted to such tactics. Brigham Young, David Koresh, Jim Jones, Poe, all of them use the same model of control to get the minds and the will of the people in their hands. This includes physical isolation from the masses, an us-versus-them mentality that they constantly reinforce, the absolute control of everything people do, including their dress, their speech, what people read, and what they do in business and who they do business with. And of course, there's a focus on material wealth for the top echelons of the group, while the rest of the common folks stay in poverty. In order to make sense of all this and see it for what it really was, Brigham Young's tactics must be compared to the way Jesus established and implemented his gospel. Let me repeat this. In order to make sense of what Brigham Young was really like, you have to, sitting there on your couch, just take what you read Jesus was like, what he said and what he taught, and compare that to the historical treatment uh, that Brigham Young gave to the people who did not necessarily see things the way he did. Look at the two comparisons and you will see where Brigham Young's power originated. All right. Are you embracing Jesus, how he set up his kingdom and or how men have set up their own little fief fiefdoms? It is one thing to belong to a movement like some movement, Greenpeace or Shriners or something, that openly admits self-interest, but it's quite another thing to belong to a group where the men uh, that run it claim without reservation that God himself is behind everything that they do. Do you see the difference? Mormons have long sought to equate the ways and means of their prophets with the ways and means of the Christian God. This is a total 
I have the word obfuscation, but I can never say it. Uh, it is a total lie. True Christianity has never, ever resorted to the tactics or actions of Brigham Young in order to survive or grow. In fact, Christianity is based on the exact opposite actions. It has blessed people with peace and love and not fear. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There is no Christian peace under the guidance of Young, and there is little true Christian peace within the halls of manipulative Mormonism today. How can there be peace when there is bondage? How can there be love if there is compulsion? How can there be liberty if there are additional demands upon salvation? Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Brigham Young introduced the spirit of bondage again. And this same environment abides in the hearts of the LDS people predominantly today. What you say, what I fear, we don't fear, we have no bondage, we've never been in bondage. Does that line sound familiar? When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, you're in bondage, and they said, we have never had anybody over us in our entire lives. We've never been enslaved. While they were completely enslaved to the religious uh, practices of their day. You don't fear about making the celestial kingdom, do you? Of course you do. It's on every single Latter-day Saint's heart. They fear it. Why? Because it's up to you and your efforts and your righteousness and your works to get there. Naturally, you're going to fear and wonder if you're doing enough. That's called bondage. Do you fear about what other people think about you? Do you fear about not measuring up? Do you worry about and fear about having your family not appear as good as the other families in your ward and stake? I know you do because I've been there. I feared too. I wanted my little daughters to really, really look good and righteous, and I made it hell on them if they didn't. That is bondage. That is the spirit of fear. Do you fear when the telephone rings and it's the elders quorum president and he wants your statistics for the month? Did you do your home teaching? Do you, do you make up a story? That's fear too. All this is bringing bondage back into the lives of people where Jesus Christ on the cross set you free. And the point is, with that freedom, you then follow him all the more with more allegiance, more righteousness, more holiness than you ever had under the law. Do you fear the Temple Recommend interview? Are you afraid to hear the truth about your faith because it might cause you to question? It might cause you to doubt? It might cause you to maybe walk away? Is that a fear? In 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, and love is God. Per perfect love casteth out fear, because fear has torment. This is what it says. And you know those torments, the bondage that comes with it. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Brigham built his kingdom upon the currencies of fear, and the compounded interest of angst remains in the hearts of Latter-day Saints today. From this, you can be set free. When you read the testimonies or hear of people who have come to a, a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, knowing that he is the author and finisher of their faith, when you hear what they have to say, almost everyone who's come out of Mormonism says, I've been set free. I felt like a load was lifted off my back. I became a better person. Uh, the pressures and stresses left me. All these similar sayings, we read them all the time. I'm not making it up. Twelve years ago in Cache Valley, Utah, a time capsule was opened on March 8th of 1987. It had been sealed a hundred years earlier. Several items of interest were inside, mostly trinkets relating to the mid to late 19th century Utah where and when Brigham Young reigned. Surprisingly, the contents of this capsule included a copy of a fascinating letter of, by one Aaron D. Witt uh, that he had written to his sister Elizabeth in January of 1875. Now, DeWitt was a well-known Cache Valley resident. He was quite a poet and he was quite a businessman. And somehow the guy was able to slip this letter in the time capsule before it was sealed up. And so they found this in 1987. 
The letter describes his perspective of life in Utah under Brigham Young. Now, there's no sanitizing here. No LDS historian has rewritten what should have been written. Maybe DeWitt had an ax to grind. It's quite possible. We can't necessarily say that everything he says is absolute. Nevertheless, what he did write corresponds correctly to what LDS records say actually occurred. So allow some highlights from this kind of long letter uh, right now before we go to the phones. Uh, here it goes. My dear sister, it's dated Logan, Utah, January 31st, 1875. I low to commence this letter I have promised you so long. I hardly know, but will say in the first place I have been deceived, led into error, imposed upon, deluded, beguiled into a false religion in my youth, and spent the best part of my life in a wilderness, a desert, a land of sage and salt, away from all enlightenment and civilization, among the most degraded tribes of Indians on the Western Hemisphere. And what is still more worse, I have had to mingle with a beastly, black-hearted, bloody priesthood. A set of treacherous villains as full of meanness as old Satan and as thirsty for blood as a stench leech. He wrote poetry now, it says, While these are facts, they are not half told, for hundreds have been killed for gold. Both men and women have been slain and robbed to add to Brigham's gain. Uh, he's... He then goes on and says, I will mention a few of the most inhuman and cruel acts ever committed by any man-eating savage in the darkest ages in which none have but a corrupt priesthood could ever perpetrate. All of these have been done in Utah since I came here by men claiming to hold the holy priesthood of the Son of God. He goes on then to describe the Mountain Meadows Massacre, and the, which we're going to cover later. And he also went on to describe the Morisite Massacre, which you probably haven't heard about. We'll cover that later. And then he went and he wrote another stanza of poetry. What bloody deeds, what sin and strife, what sacrifice of human life, what deeds of plunder have been done to raise a gory throne for young. Then he tells the details of several murders and he goes in and he talks about how a doctor was led out by the Danite police and he was butchered over the head and, and killed out in the streets. He talks about the murder of Yates, the killing of McNeil, the assassination of Borman, the shooting of Brassfield, the slaughter of the Aikens party, the emasculation of Jones, and finally the butcher of him and his poor old mother. He writes, I would also mention the dead man in the meat market, the three men in the barn, the murder near Warm Springs, the shooting of pike in the streets of Salt Lake City in broad daylight, the murder of the potters in the parishes, of Rhodes and Roberts, and hundreds of others who have been murdered in cold blood and robbed to satisfy the avarice cravings of as foul a man and false a prophet as ever disgraced the sin-stained earth. These horrible deeds have all been committed in our holy Zion and not one of the perpetrators ever brought to justice. In fact, there has been no justice in the land. We are told, do as you are told or you will pay the uh, consequences. And he goes on and he tells a story about Brigham Young who stood before the brethren in a speech in the fall of 1857, which he personally attended. He said, I heard our prophet in a congregation of 3,000 souls tell the bishops that they were to counsel the brethren to do as they were told. And he said, if they don't do it, lay righteousness to the line and judgment to the pummel. If you don't know what that is, come to me and I will tell you. Then he threw his head back and with a revolting grin drew his finger across his throat. The writer concludes the letter to his sister and he says that the reason that he stayed was there is no way he could escape. The bishops had their eye on everybody in the community and if you tried they would follow you out, scatter your flocks which would cause you to come back and if you tried to escape again he talks about how the Danites would come out and they would kill you out in the desert. You think I'm making this up? Go to UTLM and read it from the history of the state. It was, as I said, Cain, uh, he anointed this fallen world with the blood of his brother. The state of Utah was anointed with the blood of the people who came out here under the reign of Brigham Young. We'll come back and we'll take your phone calls here on Heart of the Matter.
Anyone in this day and age who behave and spoke as Brigham Young would automatically be written up as an egocentric, maniacal despot, a cultic, controlling, and frankly dangerous man. And yet he is heralded as a great leader. There's even a book that calls him an American Moses. I would suggest there are very, very few similarities between those two people. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And let me suggest a couple things. We would love you to call if you're LDS. Please call and let's hear what you have to say, what you think, what you're thinking about. Also, first-time callers, preferably. Uh, if you're LDS, you can call us as often as you want. I don't know if I want to say that or not. But anyway, uh, if you're LDS, call us. And also, be ready. Have your question, your comment. And when you come, after the operator puts you on hold, when I come on, just be ready so we can get it going. Uh, we have Bradford and West Jordan already on the line, but I want to read a very disturbing email. And it troubles me greatly. I'm going to uh, shorten it, but it's from Sherry G. She said, we met at a church in Layton. She was raised LDS her whole life. Her husband and her left the church in 2006. She got very sick. She felt like she was turning over a new leaf, but sickness came in and, and uh, she got so sick and that the church that she was going to, she said all they were requesting was that she would help out with other sick people and she wasn't getting enough attention according to her email. So she said she prayed and while she was praying, uh, God said to her, you need a blessing. Now that's vernacular, that's LDS uh, nomenclature for someone to come in and lay their hands on you who holds the LDS priesthood and give you a blessing. That's what they mean. She said, so uh, three hours later, two Mormon missionaries came to her door and she said she almost dropped to her knees and this overwhelming feeling of relief was almost too much for her to handle. She asked them to come back to bring their oil. They did. And long story short, she says, uh, uh, she says, I think I have made a mistake in leaving the church. And she says she is, uh, she's seen her neighbors who had problems with drugs and alcohol find uh, peace uh, by joining up the church. And she, it was a beautiful day when the missionaries showed up. And thank you for taking time to read this. Uh, I want you to know that uh, I could have not read that and try to paint a picture that once someone leaves, they always leave. And it's just not true. And the reason it's not true is because when you're a little girl, a little boy, and you're raised in the church and you're taught to stand up on, uh, once a month before the whole congregation and bear your testimony, how, and it's always, I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know the Book of Mormon is true and all those things. And then you have people laying their hands on you. are called brother and sister. This culture is so strong. And that when times get tough, you can be taken back. It happens. Um, I would suggest, and I wrote to Sherry, and I suggest, Sherry, you know, open up your Bible and, and, and stay on your knees, and you go to those LDS meetings, and you just sit there, and you listen, and you compare it with what you've heard uh, with the Bible being taught. I pray that once you have come to know the Lord, you then get into the Word. You get tapped into one of these local churches that teaches the Word that is there for this community and fellowship, and you will see the difference. That, that type of email just breaks my heart. Let's go to Bradford and West Jordan. Bradford, you are on, Bradford, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, God bless you, Sean. God bless you, Bradford. My first question is that um, Brigham Young had an entrance to his estate, and we can still see that to, today down on uh, State Street, and uh, on, up on the top, under the eagle and the beehive, there's an upside-down star. Yeah. And I was just wondering, I always I was interested in that. You know, people ask about those uh, markings that are on the temple, and... Many of them will say that they are uh, they're Satan, they're Satanist markings, but they were adopted. That that usually is interpreted by the Mormons as the Northern Star, but uh, they adopted those signs from Masonry, and it was and according to what, what I've seen, Satanism did not have that five pointed pentagram until Anton Lavey made it popular, and so. While the Mormons borrowed from Masonry, which could be tied to Satanism as far as I'm concerned too, but nevertheless, they didn't take it from Satanism. They took it from Masonry. And so that's, that's the star is its origins come from Masonic order. Oh, okay. And my, uh, I just wanted to uh, reaffirm that um, I did uh, talk with an uh, LDS guy over the weekend, and he was claiming himself to be a Christian just because he was following 
Christ and what uh, Christ taught? Well, the, the Muslims think they follow Christ. They believe he was a great prophet. Does that make them Christians? You know, no. uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe they're Christians. Brigham Young there, here in the quote I just gave, he mocked Christians. It's funny, you know, the church started out on a foundation of mocking Christianity, saying it was false, not having, wanting anything to do with it. But now, you know, that they're here in these modern times and Christianity is, is, is big and power, they want to become part of it so they can just be absorbed in and just keep on going with what they're doing. So they play whatever deck they need to play in order to win the hand and continue to go on. They are, they are not, the doctrine is not Christian at all. The doctrine is actually anti-Christ. And I know that sounds powerful, and I'm not saying that every single Mormon is not a Christian. I know some Mormons who are trying to get out, and they, they come to know the Lord. But Mormonism is not Christian. Yeah, that's, I, I agree with you on that. And back to the uh, symbolism that um, goes back to the Freemasonry. Yeah. That same symbols are on their garments that they wear, and I believe that Satan had an apron with his uh, symbols on that, and Adam asked, uh, Satan, what are the symbols of? And Satan says, those are the symbols of my priesthood. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that, those, those symbols that you see on the outside, the star and things, uh, only parts of them, angles and things, are in those garments, but not the full star. So, thanks so much, Bradford. Hey, thanks, Al. Have a good night. All right, you two. We're going to Bob in Salt Lake City. Bob is a first-time caller. Bob, welcome to Heart of the Matter. Thank you. You're welcome. This this isn't Sean, is it? It is. Oh, okay. Turn the TV down, okay? Because you're still talking to. Okay, so I had a question. Yes. And it is um, your appearance changes every week. Yeah. And I have a hunch that the reason for that is you've received threats. <laughs> is that true or not? That's exactly right. Is it true? This is incognito. Uh, you know, it, that's not the reason I change up on the show. We have oh. received threats, but uh -huh. uh, I don't change my appearance for that. Although, oh, okay. I got to tell you, when I go in public, people really don't know. Uh, they'll, they'll look at me, and then sometimes they'll say, are you that guy? And I'll say, yeah. So I guess it has helped. But I change my appearance for uh, a number of different funny reasons. One is we like to catch people going by. And if I was sitting here looking all normal and natural and had the, you know, really nice normal set and everything, people just, let's uh, they just keep, but now they stop. What the heck is that? <laughs> it's like a bad accident, you know? You gotta want, look. All right. That's one thing. And, and another thing, you know, I want all people to know that that it doesn't really matter how you look, you know? It's like, uh, it's like the Scythians and the, and the Greeks and the Jews, and they all dressed in different ways, and, and it's not the outward thing here. It is what the Lord will do with your heart. Now, all under right. all this, there is a regular Sean McCraney. Someday he'll show up, and, and he'll stick with you. <laughs> okay. All right, my friend. Thank you. God bless. God, thanks. Yeah. We're going to Don from Syracuse. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good evening. Earlier you made a comment that Brigham Young had people murdered in the early days of Utah. I did make that comment, Don. Yeah. I wonder if you could document one of those murders at all for me. Well, Brigham Young was a pretty crafty guy, and so all we can say is that uh, Brigham Young was the leader of men who killed. We know that Porter Rockwell. We know that, uh, we know that the, um, those other boys that we showed who are Danites who came out with him killed. We know from records, and you can go to UTLM, Don, I think you know that, and you can look up the information right there and see it. But so as far as Brigham Young, well, he was their prophet, and he was their leader, and he would, I mean, we do have it documented where he said, look it, if you don't follow my word. So it sounds like he was definitely behind the actions of murder so on people. can you document, can you give me some names, for example, of one of these people that were murdered? I just gave you a whole bunch. Want me to give you some? Want me to give, want me to give them well, to you? With, with documentation. You, you make lots of statements, but you don't make documentation. Well, I give you, the names I just gave you was from a letter that someone wrote, and I prefaced reading that letter saying, we don't know if this is, is right or not. He may have had an axe to grind. But previously you said that Brigham Young had people murdered, but he, you he did. no documentation. Yeah, well, would I you document it if you murdered somebody? 
I mean, I don't think you'd write down, today I had so-and-so killed, especially if you're the leader of the church and you're dealing with dignitaries from Washington, D.C. The man was so, not dumb. I've never accused him of being dumb. So what, we're dealing, so what we're dealing with here is hearsay, is that correct? No, we're not dealing with hearsay. We're, de we're, we're dealing with, in a court of law, he would be convicted. Okay, now, well, let's, let's have some references. Let's see if we can document that. Well, do you, have I, I you ever... I don't think you can do that. Don, have you ever gone to UTLM? Absolutely. And you don't think that Sandra Tanner has documented Brigham Young's uh, at least influence in murders? Influence in murders? Yeah. Perhaps. Can you document a murder? No, I can't document a murder. I didn't think so, but you made a statement that you can't back up, and I think you need to fess up to that. I'm not going to fess up to anything. I know, well, that, I know that Brigham Young was the obviously. leader of the Danites. I know that Brigham Young publicly said, if you don't follow us, let me tell you what will happen. That is enough when people are killed within his jurisdiction for me to know that Brigham Young was behind the deaths of people. Okay, so we can play games here and we can pretend. All you want, that's what you live on, is you I'm live on where you I'm can't really prove it. To play, I'm not trying to play a game. Don, you are. I'm suggesting that you made a statement that you can't back I up. I stand by the statement, and we can back it up with, with um, circumstance. circumstance you circum show to do that. Okay, I just told you. Brigham Young was not so dumb as to write that he had someone killed, but Brigham but Young, well, no, wait, let me finish. Let me repeat it again, Don. Brigham Young said, if you don't do what I say, let me tell you what the rules will be. And if you don't understand this, come see me. <laughs> then we had people who were, <laughs> Brigham Young was their prophet. The Danites followed what Brigham told them to do. Circumstantial evidence would indict Brigham Young in a court of law. I doubt it because you can't. You, all you're bringing up is hearsay. You're not bringing up okay, any kind of Okay, so then of let me ask you something, Don. Since okay. you're taking this stance with me, if you want documentation, give me documentation on the Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon as being true. Give me that documentation. Is, give me is, some archaeological... I'm not, I'm no, not wait. Asking, no, 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 no. As an LDS person, Don, I'm not concerned about documentation about an item of faith. Oh, Are you I concerned? See. Would you like to document I see. the Bible? Well, I, by faith, believe Brigham Young was a murderer. Would, would you like to document your Bible? Uh, yes, I would. Okay, can you give me historic, not historical, can you give me the same kind of proof you require of the Book of Mormon for the Bible? Absolutely. Okay, what do you require for the Book of Mormon? I require to know where Zarahemla was. Well, then I require of you to tell me where cities in the Bible were, because if you will study really? the Bible... Are we... Okay, if, so... If you study do you, the Bible, you'll find that many of the cities that are mentioned there cannot be located at this point. Any of the cities in the Bible cannot be located? I said many, M-A-N-Y, many. Okay, uh, show, okay, show me any city in the Book of Mormon that can be fair. Show me any coin that was used. Show me any yoke. Show me any building. There's that can no be mention, verified. There's no mention of coin in the Book of Mormon. Sure there is. Show me. Give me a reference. I don't have the Book of Mormon with me, Don, but this okay. is not going... I, this, don't view this as a victory for you because you can sit there and say, show me right now. Look well, well, at it. Next, next week, next, next week, give us a reference. Okay, hold on. Wait one second. Will someone coin. in the... Wait, hold on. Will someone in the audience grab a Book of Mormon and look up coins? And then we'll just t take care of this right now for the viewing audience. Someone's going to sure. go do that. So stay on the line, Don. Now listen... Badly. No, 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 let's stay on the subject, though. The Bible. There are no, are there cities that we can find that are listed in the Bible? Yes, I know. Thank I you. you I, okay. I will grant. Uh, You'll grant just that. Moment. Just a moment. I, I misheard your question. Please ask it again. I said, are there cities listed in the Bible that can be found today as cities that were in the Bible? There are some, yes. Some. Uh, there, are we, others, there are others that cannot, and I would be happy to send you documentation. Obviously can't do it right Don, now. I don't care about your documentation, okay? Of course I really, you don't. I, no, of course I don't, because it's, it's, I've been in your documentation for 40 years. Don, there are hundreds and hundreds of cities they can find. There are thousands, if not millions, of physical artifacts that support. There are manuscript evidence. There's linguistic evidence of this Bible. You don't have anything 
for any of those three books that you claim to be. None. You said, let's make a comparison of the Book of Mormon talking about evidence, going back to this whole evidence thing. Give me something in the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, that can be proven, just like the Bible. Something, Don. There is, in my estimation, no need to prove a book of faith by physical means. I accept the Book of Mormon as I accept the Bible on the basis of faith. I believe that they're both from God. I believe in the Bible, have always believed in the Bible. Oh, uh, no, you don't. I was a small child. Yeah, and your I belief is... I never believed in the Bible because I had some kind of physical proof. When I was a child in Presbyterian Sunday school, I was taught... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Isn't that a beautiful I line? It as I believe it today. Okay, Don, let's stop Bible with your testimony. Don, let's stop with your testimony and get on something here. Okay? Let's, let's go back. No, wait, no, no. Yet? You just got to give a little monologue here. Let me say something. You said you believe the Bible. You love the Bible. And Absolutely. yet you say that there's only some cities. You say that the Book of Mormon, as far as evidence in the Bible, are comparable. Alma 11, 4 through 10 talks about their coins. There's a reference for you. You happy? There's no reference to coin. If you can quote me a reference to I, coin. I just did. Okay, where is the word coin in the Book of Mormon? Give me chapter and verse. <laughs> well, someone bring the Book of Mormon to me. We're going to take the time to do this. Someone please bring the Book of Mormon to me. Because unfortunately, this, this actually proves a great point of what you do, Don. I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to hear where you show me the word coin in the Book of Mormon in that reference. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'll show you the word coin in the Book of Mormon. Okay. Let's hear it. We're waiting. Audience, are you sitting on the edge of your seat? Okay, here comes the Book of Mormon. Okay, give me the chapter just, and verse so right, we can look at it as well. Just a second. Okay, now... Before, now this is what, this, this is the reference, and then I want to qualify my reference, okay? Oh, okay, now, now remember, we're asking for a reference you, about coin. Right, okay? Can now the amount of, verse? now the amount of a scion of gold was twice the value of a sinine, and the shum of gold was twice the value of a scion, and a limna of gold was the value of them all. And an amnor of silver was the great of two sinums. And as, and Enzon of silver was the great of four sinums, and an auntie was as great as them all. And this is the value of the lesser numbers of the reckoning. A shiblon is half of a sinum, and therefore a shiblon for half a measure of barley. Okay, now, now let, and it goes on, but let me just qualify this, just for a second. We go back to the index, and we look up coins. Just a second, I gotta find this. I might be proven wrong here. I'm, I'm taking a, an old seminary teacher guess. Coin, page 53 of the LDS index, coin. It says C, Amnor, Isram, Lima, Anti, Senine, Sam, Seon, Shiblon. Is that good enough? That is a reference in the Dictionary, I'm asking you for a reference in the Book of Mormon. Book it's in of the Mormon Book of Mormon. This is in coin. the index I'm not of... Talking about, I'm not talking about, as I pointed out, the Book of Mormon does not discuss coin. And okay. you just do, proved do that. You know what? This, this you is so beautiful. What, what camera are we on? Do, there's no toggle light on. There's nothing to do with coin. Don, Don? You're on the monitor. Oh, we're on the monitor. I guess this is a coin of... What is this? I don't even know what this is, so it's not going to help. This is a gold seon from the Bible. It's not from the Book of Mormon, so don't get confused here. Okay, so there, there we have a comparison of another biblical fact versus a fantasy. Don, you are making yourself, again, I couldn't pay for this. The audience is sitting here listening to this, and they are saying, look, you asked for coins. Sean read your references from Alma 11, and then he went to the index and says, what are those things? And the Mormon church prints that those things are coins. The Mormon church prints this. You get on here. Why? Because you're not interested in truth, Don. You are interested in argument, in apologetics, and you're interested in mudding the water of truth. Okay? 
You're entitled to your opinion, but okay. I just made Wait a, a second. Let me continue. Wait, wait, wait. I got more made, information here. More I just information. pointed out that you made a statement that you can't back up from the pages of the Book of Mormon. You have to go to a second source. Okay. This. Wait a second. The introduction of Alma chapter 11 states that these are Nephite coins and measures. So let me go to the Book of Mormon introduction in chapter 11. It says Nephi coinage. I'm looking back at the speaker. Coinage, Don. That is, in the, that is in the chapter heading. And who wrote the chapter headings? One of, your, one of your leaders, or Joseph, possibly. The Book of Mormon itself, the text of the Book of Mormon, is what I was saying in the first place. The Book of Mormon does not address coin. People who made comment later equate, equated that with coin. But I said, where does the Book of Mormon talk about coin? Don? It did not, and I made my point. Don, now, your, if you, your point? I know you get on and you want to be Don, the expert on everything. Don, I'm, not an expert on, I'm not an expert on anything. But so far, but Don, you haven't proven anything. All, so far, I've proven that you're an idiot. And, and like I, mean that, I mean that... That's a very I mean Christ-like way to put yeah, it. Don't talk to me about Christ-like ways. You are an idiot. That means Thank that you. you don't have the ability to see plain reasoning here. You have the LDS church that prints the book. They say in chapter 11 that these are the coins. I read you the coins. I went to the index and I looked up coins. It says coins and it lists those things that are in chapter 11. And yet you, because you want to muddy waters for people who are searching and you want them to believe in a fictional book, you will sit here and do all you can to make me look less of what I am. Look at how much less could I look? Then I, have, then I have one final question. All right, Don, go ahead. Is it equally bad, then, to make statements that somebody had somebody murdered and not be able to back them up with documented facts? I can back them up with documented evidence. I challenge you to do so on the next show. I did on this show. Just documented you evidence. Gave hearsay on this show. That's evidence. Hearsay is not evidence. I Sorry. think it is evidence. The evidence we have is this called, If you ever get called into court and are convicted on hearsay, I would be very surprised. Oh, well, you, you made it that my comments were hearsay, Don. My comments were not hearsay. My comments were from the historical record of what Brigham Young said before 3,000 people when he said that you slit their throat if they don't obey. They found that's people not, with slit that's throats. That's not the same as documenting That's murder. circumstantial evidence, Don. I'm sorry. You I, done? I'm sorry, too, because these are, you're not using rules of logical evidence. I think I'm using years. real logic, and I think you have checked your logic in at the door. One, one final, one final thought. Another final thing, Don? I, I apologize. I apologize. Just one more, one more it's thought. It's okay. Go ahead, would you be willing? Would you be willing on your show to have an apologist appear with you? I'm not an apologist, Don, and, and you know this well, because I think, don't you work for an apologist? No, I don't work don't for you, an apologist. Do you set up appointments for an apologist? I set up an appointment with you on Van Hale. Yes, you, you did, didn't you, Don? Listen, let me, let me spoke, explain something to you, Don. You spoke too much truth. Let me explain and something to you. you refuted all of your arguments. L let me explain something to you. Don, Van Hale does not even believe in many things that the Mormon Church teaches. You're trying to promote him here on this show again. I am I, not I, an apologist. I, I simply teach... You. I disagree with what you said about Van Hale. Well, I know you do, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not an apologist. I'm not here to give you equal time. I don't care about your idi idiocy. I don't care about your lunacy and your logic. That's what it is. We'll replay this next week. We'll replay the segment about the coins so you can hear for yourself how ridiculous it was. Okay, this is the problem with apologetics is you will take a, an argument like this in order to win the argument. Not get to the truth, but to win the argument, you will dance around a subject like that like you just did. Don, I don't have time for you. We have people who are coming to know the Lord whose lives are changing. You go back and you and Van Hill get on the radio and rub each other and do whatever you do, but this is over, okay? All right, we're going on to Kenneth in Salt Lake City. Kenneth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. Woo! John. How you doing? Good. What's hey, happening, Kenneth? Uh, I love your show. Keep up the good work, old man. Thanks, Kenneth. Uh, I was born and raised into the LDS Church, and uh, now I am a born-again, Bible-thumping, Pentecostal, holy roller. Woo! I've gone all the way. <laughs> anyway, uh, I went all through high school and stuff, did the seminaries and everything, and I never once opened the Book of Mormon. Well, after I got older, my son wanted to become a 
a uh, Pentecostal preacher, which he is now. And uh, on his way, he asked me about baptism for the dead, which I was baptized 28 times for the dead. And uh, I looked into it, and it scared me, and it made me mad. And I thought maybe you could maybe shed a little light on on my uh, what I read. And it said that I was baptized by the dead, for the dead, through proxy. Yeah. Which I understand, but it says I was baptized for the dead. Yeah, I don't, I don't fully understand your question, Kenneth. I understand where they pulled the doctrine from, but I'm not sure I understand your specific question. I just wanted to know if you know if I was baptized by dead people. Spiritually dead, probably. That, you know, I truly believe that I was. Because yeah. from what I remember, the people that did it looked like they were dead to me. Yeah. That, okay. that, that can happen. So, yeah, thank you for the call, Kenneth. Yes, keep on. Okay, God bless. Mm, thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Scott and Murray, first-time caller. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, hi. I have a comment, if that's okay. I yeah. was born and raised uh, around the church. My great-great-grandfather was John D. Lee. Mm. Uh, my uncle was the general manager of KSL. You know, I mean, I've you know, been around the church for a long time. Went to BYU. When I was at BYU uh, in one of my religion classes, the professor told us that he, in a, in a temple ceremony, he had asked who that different man was on the stage, and he was told that was Jesus Christ, who visits there regularly in person, uh, which I, I've always thought was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but my comment is that my aunt, after I was out of BYU, said if I would, if I would just read the Book of Mormon with an open heart, uh -huh. that it would be shown to me that it was true, which I did. I read it with an open heart, and it was with all of my powers of discernment, it was shown to me that it was patently false yeah. and a lie. It just, it just didn't feel right. It didn't seem right. And I've often wondered why I felt uncomfortable around so many LDS people, because I was born and raised here. Hmm. And to me, the reason I feel so uncomfortable is because I sense, especially in people that I meet who are in positions of leadership in the church, mm -hmm. an absolute lack of a sense of um, humbleness or humility yeah. and it bothers me it bo i mean I, I meet real estate people i meet car dealers i meet bankers who you know i mean you tell me why why does every member of the 12 or the 70 why are they always wealthy every single time when is there going to be a leader of the lds church that's a carpenter right right wow. well you, you have good points about the pride, but you know, when you're in charge of your own salvation and you start really doing well, then you're naturally, if you believe that, you're actually going to think, wow, you know, I'm doing pretty good, and you start to pat yourself on the back. Now, well, yes, yes, yes. But why, do, why do all the bishops suddenly uh, ask all of the people who, uh, who, are, who are beneath them in the church uh, to buy windows at their dealership? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a business thing, and, and I have to be fair, you know, this, we live in this world of material things, and it's not whether you're blessed materially. I'm just reading about Solomon, and, and he was blessed with great material things, and, and he used them for the Lord and David and, and people. It's not necessarily whether you've been blessed with those things. It's your attitude having received them. And I just want to tell you, Scott, that the attitude that they get is because of their soteriology it's based off their doctrine of how they're saved and so what happens is when they believe they're going to be saving themselves somehow and the higher they get up in the church the more uh, the better off they are and the more wealthy they are the more the lord has blessed them because of their righteousness and all those old testament constructs they just they just get puffed up a good christian who is blessed with wealth doesn't have that attitude i know many of them and they don't. They have an attitude of the Lord has blessed me and, and, and I'm going to help and, 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 and those type of things. So well, I, Yes, yes. And, and not only that, but, but there are a great many LDS people that are wonderful, decent, humble sure. people. Sure. You know there are. There are. You know, truly great people. But as soon as they get into leadership, there is something about that, that, that puffing up of pride that frankly just turns off all of, all of us who, who would like to love. Yeah. You know, I, just, just a real brief note that I... Uh, a, a wonderful one-liner that, that, that John Lennon sent to Ringo Starr in a, post, in a postcard, and, 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 and it said this. It said, let's just love each other and get it over with. <laughs>
Hey, thank you so much for the call. We are out of time, 15 seconds. God bless you. Listen, we left some good callers on. First time callers, please call back. Apologize if I offended anybody tonight. It's just debate, which I don't like to do. We just want to present what we know and let you figure it out for yourselves. God bless you. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Woo!